All right, I'm going to talk to you about completing Christ. <clears throat> and I and, and when we go through this, um, uh, I want to give you a, an understanding um, while you're while you're pulling that up there. Uh, I want to give you a, an appreciation for just how perfect things are in Christ. As messed up as the world may be, as messed up as your mind, your emotions, everything else could be all messed up, but you are complete in Christ. So, <clears throat> uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2. Let me ask you a question. Who wrote this letter to the Colossians? Somebody raise your hand tell me. Yes, ma'am? Apostle Paul. And really, <clears throat> uh, he's um, he seems to love truth. He seems to love just talking about what's true and what's real. Uh, where is Colossae located? What area of the world? Don't say Australia. Where is Colossae, not Andrew? Where is Colossae located? If I said Colossae, it's not on the other side of Killarney. <clears throat> no, not you either. Uh, Weston. Crete? No. Tony? It is in what we call modern Turkey. It is, if you ever, if I ever had a chance to go, uh, somewhere really biblical or whatever you can go to jerusalem you can go to israel i wouldn't mind going somebody gave me a ticket but if i ever had the chance i would rather go into turkey and see these cities that are all along ephesus Colossae, um uh there there's uh thyatira and smyrna and all these places that john wrote to in the book of revelation those are the places i would like to go <clears throat> but Colossae is in modern day turkey in that day, it was known as Galatia, the area of Galatia, where the Irish language came from, the Gauls. That's another story. So, uh, what was the theme, or what has been the theme of this book so far? I already put it on there. It's the preeminence of Christ. The most important person of all uh, truth is Jesus Christ. Not what you've done, not how you've prayed, not what church you go to, not how long you've lived, but Jesus. <clears throat> and you know, if we ever get that really, really in our life, your life is all Christ, that's the Christian life. When your life is all about you, it stinks. So what was it that Paul was so worried about concerning the Christians at Colossae? I'll give you a, uh, just a few things here, but try to remember what was he worried about with these Christians that he had never taught he had never met, but he was concerned about him. Not Andrew. <laughs> he went to Bible college, so I got to find. Yes, Paul. Good false gospels. What else? Yes, sir. Uh, he was worried about philosophy being more important than the Word of God. He was, in, in simple terms, I wrote it this way. He was worried about Christians becoming deceived, lied to, taken advantage of by false religious teachers. He was worried in that day of religious hustlers coming in and making merchandise of them and turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and into a lifestyle that was of two extremes. One, do anything you want. And the other one, rules and regulations and condemnation. And secondly, he was worried that Christians would end up being robbed of what they have in Christ and settling for legalistic bondage instead of the freedom that we have in Christ. <clears throat> Think about it. Paul wanted strong, vibrant, unstoppable Christians. But he knew in that day and age as it is today that there were there was a, a concerted effort. There was a, a demonically 
empowered effort going on, transforming Christians into generation after generation of dependent followers of rituals and rules instead of Christ. I've had people, it's been a while, but I've had people come and say, I don't like the rules of your church. Has anybody seen the rules of our church? But it's, it's, they, they, they can't see. They just expect churches about rules, and they look and they see rules, and they go to church and they see rules. And I'm telling you, maybe we failed. I don't know. But shouldn't, shouldn't the Christian life see Christ? So, uh, as I already said, so uh, we'll, just my brief review, the Christian is constantly under the attack of the world, their own flesh, and the devil. And when those enemies are not making headway, when the world, the flesh, and the devil aren't winning in your life, religion will step in and bring you under bondage. Paul warns every believer to beware of four things. The first one, Tony, what was that that we were warned in verse 8 of? Philosophy. Philosophy and false science. When we think of philosophers, we think of deep thinkers, and there are a lot of them. There are people who just, you know, they think that they know all the deep things and so on and so forth. Uh, be worried about uh, uh, being caught up with evolutionary science and all of the, the science of, of addiction, and the science of, of uh, counseling. And really, there's some people in our church that are taking social classes on how to help people. Believe me, you must be very careful of what your teachers teach you of how to minister to other people. Because you're not just two parts. You're not just body and soul. You are body, soul, and spirit. And when you're trying to fix somebody, you may be trying to fix their emotions, but their emotions are destroyed by their spirit. And by their spirit being lost or being possessed or whatever. So philosophy and false science, and a lot of Christians say, well, you know what, the Bible says such, such, but I kind of hold to Freud. Or I hold to, and then they go off on their little tangent. So he warns the believer to beware of philosophy, beware of vain deceit, and that's modern advertising. It's all about you, remember? To be uh, uh, beware of the traditions of men, and there are lots of traditions, the religious, cultural, and even political traditions. One of the things that Dan is, is probably not quite confronted yet, but I, when I was out in McCroom, door knocking, I tell you, I must have met every third door, I met a Sinn Feiner. I mean, the sidewalks were painted uh, orange and green and orange and green and orange and green. It was telling you, you're in Sinn Féin territory. And that's a political tradition that people grow up in. And the Bible says, beware of that. Because politics will make bad Christians. Christians should make good politics. Do you see how it reversed? Politics makes bad Christians. So beware of the traditions of men, religious uh, ceremonies, rituals, cathedrals, so on and so forth, and of the rudiments of the world. And that's the <clears throat> that's what you see on television. It's how people are. The base way that people live like animals. And it's a shame that that's what sells. That's what people sort of watch and they want to see what's called reality TV, which is not reality. So all of those things are not seeking after Christ there. Uh, and, and, and there's a concern here. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says this, I charge thee therefore, talking to Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. We'd say the quick, the living and the dead. 
at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Not the philosophy, not vanity, not traditions, not base living, but preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, whether it's popular or when it's unpopular. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. And what's the next word? My doctrine is just what's what's right and what's true. For the time will come, and is here now, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears. I'm not listening. They will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I've watched you ever go up to uh, <clears throat> to the men's home and, and you, you watch them fix a cup of tea. And uh, Tony will, will confirm this. And you'll see these guys and they'll fix a cup of tea and then they'll take the sugar and they'll go one, two, three, four, five. You want to grab their hand and say stop. But they heap in the sugar with their tea. I don't know if it's just a result of battling addiction. I don't know what it is. They got to have that buzz. But you know, people turn away from boring, sound doctrine, and they heap to themselves sugar-coated preachers. And they just, oh, I just love Joel Osteen. <laughs> he just makes me feel so good. <laughs> Not me, I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, it's very important to see that what we learn from Colossians is not the excitement, it's not the, it's true. And if you don't know true, I'm going to tell you this, you're in danger. And Paul warns about it. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Every pastor should be concerned when Christians are supposed to be a pastor there. Every pastor should be concerned when the Christians that he's ministering to are caught up in the love of man's wisdom instead of the love of the Bible. If you are spending your time reading the sports pages and you're spending so much of your time reading the news and you're spending so much time watching the television and you spend no time in the Bible, I'm concerned. Because you're stuck in men's wisdom. I read the op-ed section. Oh, I always read the opinion page. Read the Bible, God's opinion. Pastors ought to be concerned when Christians are caught up in themselves. Pastor, you're just not feeding me lately. Feed yourself. Open your Bible, learn for yourself for a little while. I'll catch up with you later. But when people are all caught about themselves, when they're caught up with, I'm lonely, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I worry. Because that's vain deceit. Ceremonies and traditions. <clears throat> I mean, we used to, uh, Dan remembers, Dan and Kathy, when they first visited, you remember our old preaching shed out in Blarney. I went and I invited, every year I would sit down with the bank manager at the AIB in, in Blarney, and I'd sit down with him, we'd go over our, our church uh, books and church records there, and he says, nobody does this. And I kept it, every year I'd personally invite him to come to church and to come for Christmas or whatever. He looked, oh, I could never come. That, that, I could never be seen going to that old building. <laughs> He's stuck on tradition. He thinks the church building has to be such and such for him to go into. But you know, there are some Christians, they're like, oh, this doesn't really feel like a church. You're stuck in tradition. And when people live without limits, when people live where they just live doing whatever comes naturally. So, <clears throat> I want to ask two questions. I'd like to answer them this evening. First of all, just how complete is Jesus Christ? How perfect is he? Secondly, how complete are we in Christ? Because the answers to these two questions are going to determine whether the devil will be able to enslave you again back under religious bondage or not. If you think that Jesus is not all you need, 
and you need a wife, or you need children, or you need a house, or you need a vacation, whatever it is that you think that you need to be happy and to be complete, other than Jesus Christ, you've been deceived. <clears throat> and if you think that you're not perfect in Christ, and that they're, oh man, I said, uh, I'm on my journey, Pastor. Really? Then you need to hear this message tonight. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to meet with us tonight and teach us from your word. I'm just glad these are here because I know that they love you and they love your word. <clears throat> I know that more, need, more, more people need to be here. I know that this whole church needs to evaluate what they really believe because if they don't settle some of these things, they will get caught up in heaping themselves, heaping to themselves false teachers. And that's not right because you didn't purchase a church that was to be run by the flesh. You didn't die for a body of believers that would be caught up in thinking only of themselves. So I ask that you would, uh, we can't talk about anybody that's not here, so we're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to learn ourselves, and I pray you'd help us. So we draw closer to you and, and listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Two, two main points and we're done. Number one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all we need. Now, technically, we ought to be able to close up and say amen and finish up. Amen? But you know, I'm not that kind of preacher. i got to say some sub-points. Amen. So, <laughs> go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. <clears throat> say, Pastor, I already believe that. I'm glad you believe that. But do you test what you believe about that? Do you understand the depth of that statement? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. We've gone down, taking our time. Chapter 2 is so rich, but verse 9 and verse 10 is all we're going to deal with today. Excuse me. Verse 9 says, For in him dwelleth how much of the fullness? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ is all we need. Number one, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. What does that mean? Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Let's see, Brother Dan, I'll start with you. John chapter 10, verse 38. But if I do, though you believe not, me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me. So who's in Christ? A father. Let's look at another one. 14.10, Miss Kathy. Still in the Gospel of John. 14, verse 10. So who dwells in Christ? God the Father. And let's go to uh, go back to chapter 10 verse 30, Gavin. 10:30. <clears throat> Not two, one. Do another one. Uh brother Bill. Uh chapter 14 verse 7, 8 and 9. Father, 
sufficeth us. All right. Uh, Philip says, man, we'd like to see the Father. And he says, you're looking right at him. He is in me. I am him. One more, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Let me do that, Miss uh, Susan. 2 Corinthians 5.19. All right, so God was in who? First part. Hmm? I didn't hear you. God was in? In Christ. All of God was in Christ. Not a bit of God, but all of God. If I picked up a glove and I put my hand in the glove, how much of me is in the glove? Just my hand. But when God made the man Christ Jesus, all of God was in him. Now, we say, well, where was God? Well, he was still in heaven. Well, how is that possible? Because he's God. But he says, and I believe, that Jesus didn't have a bit of God. He was all God. All the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. And it didn't stop there. Let's look at another one. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 34. Patrick, John 3, 34. <clears throat> Go ahead. For he whom God has sent, he gives the word of God. The God that giveth not the Spirit by nature. All right. That's John the Baptist talking, and he says, He whom God has sent, who's he referring to? Jesus. And he said, God doesn't give a little bit of the Spirit to him, but he gives it without what? So all of the Holy Spirit was in Jesus Christ. All right. I don't have all the Holy Spirit, do you? No. The only person who's ever had the fullness and all of the Holy Spirit at one time was Jesus and is Jesus Christ. So, uh, even, uh, go to 1 John 5, 7, and uh, Nicola, all the way to the back, almost to Revelation, find 1 John 5 and verse 7, which is, by the way, lacking in almost all other Bibles but your King James Bible. 1 John 5 and verse 7. <clears throat> You can't see it? All right, I'll get uh, Ruth or John. What do you have, Ruth? First John 5, 7. So, Father, the Word, which became the Son, became flesh, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and they all walked on this earth at one time, 33 and a half years, and let wicked men crucify Him. In Jesus dwells all of God, so he was not in fear. Let's play it this way. Jesus was not a good man, as some people say. I was listening to a guy named Ben Shapiro, who was a pretty conservative guy, and he's a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, and he says Jesus was only a good man. And I say, then he's a liar. Then Jesus lied, and his disciples lied about him. No, he was not a good man. What was he? He was the God-man. 
And that's, that's the revelation that, no, no, he's not just a good man. Secondly, Jesus was not a God. Like, what religion teaches Jesus is a God? There's several of them, but somebody raise your hand. What religions teach that Jesus was a God? Jehovah's Witnesses. Who else? That's what I was going to say. Who else? There's still other ones. The Mormons. Or we say morons. Whatever you want to call them. Uh, there are there are people who just believe that Jesus... This guy named David Koresh believed that he was a God. It just goes crazy. Jesus was not a God. He's God indeed. He's God in all areas. Jesus was not a Savior. He's the only Savior. You know what? He needs no help to save anybody. Amen? Jesus saves. Jesus was not a vision or a spirit. Some people say, well, he was just an... He was just a vision to his disciples. No, take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. Let's see, Brother John. Luke 24 and verse 39. Aren't you glad you have a Bible that you can sort of check these things out on? Genesis, uh, sorry, Luke 24, So, like Job's witnesses say that Jesus, after the resurrection, his resurrection was only spiritual. He was just a vision. He was flesh and bones. He was real. As a matter of fact, Jesus is greater than all things. We read there in Colossians that he created all things. So he's greater than the creation. He is... Uh, go to go go to Colossians. You're in John. Go to Colossians or Luke. Go to Colossians chapter one in verse seventeen. And Eric, Colossians one seventeen. He is greater than all the energy in the universe because he's able to hold everything together. Colossians one seventeen. All right. So. Um, how much effort would it take to keep everything in motion and just going and 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 operating without falling apart? He's greater than all the energy in the universe. He's greater than all the devils and Satan himself. Amen. You know what the devils cried out when they faced Jesus Christ, when he spoke to a demon-possessed man? You know what the devils cried out? They cried out in fear saying, What are you going to do to us? Amen. When Satan came and, and tempted Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, get out. And Satan had to obey. Amen. He is greater than all things. You say, I know all that. Let's just remind ourselves for a moment. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Allison, Matthew 12, 6. Wow. Who's he referring to? Wow. Now, this was a temple that Herod had built. How many years? Fifty-six years was it in the building? Herod's built. There was, this temple took 56 years, a lot of money. It was huge. It was beautiful. And Jesus said, somebody greater than the temple is here. <laughs> and he's speaking to of himself. But he didn't finish there. Look in verse 41, Kira. Still chapter 12, verse 41. So was Jonah a great prophet? 
He really was. He preached the greatest evangelistic message ever. He got over 600,000 people converted. And Jesus said, mm, somebody better and greater than Jonah is here. Uh, can you do any better than that? Yo, chapter 12, verse 42, Marcus. No, for she came. <laughs> Jesus is greater than Solomon. Again, to the Jews, they're listening, going, Solomon was wise. Solomon was smart. Jesus said, something greater than Solomon. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22, Brother Paul. 22, verse 44 and 45. Matthew 22, 44 and 45. Who else is Jesus greater than? Please, Brother Paul. 44 and 45. If you read, start in verse 42. Do that. 42 to 45. So if he calls the Messiah, the Christ, Lord, how could Christ be his son if the Christ is not greater than David? It's a great question. He's greater than David, the greatest king in Israel. Let's go to John chapter 8. And I'm going to go back to Sinead. You want to try this? You have to find John chapter 8, verse 56. And read down to verse 59. John 8, 56 to 59. 8. Who's speaking there? Just forgive me for interrupting you, but who is saying, your father Abraham saw my day? You know who, who's speaking It's Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, that makes it even easier to know sometimes when Jesus is speaking. But it's Jesus speaking. And he says, Abraham saw me. Keep going now. Hmm. Keep going. All right, now just get the picture. He says, you know, Abraham and I, we've seen each other. Matter of fact, we've talked. Abraham saw me, and he was glad to see me. And they go, wait, you're not even 50 years old. Abraham was almost 2,000 years earlier than, than Jesus is at that time. How can you have seen Abraham? And he said, well, before Abraham ever got born, 
I am. That's the word that only God can say that I always have existed. And they picked up stones to throw at him because he's claiming to be God. What does it show? Jesus is greater than Abraham. And to a Jew, Abraham was the greatest. He was the one that we patterned life after. So he's greater than creation, greater than all the energy in the universe, greater than all the devils and Satan, greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than David, greater. Go to Matthew chapter 12 in verse 8. Uh, Beth, Matthew 12 and verse 8. All right, that may not sound like much to you and me because we really don't worry about the Sabbath, but to the Jew, Jesus saying, I'm greater than the Sabbath. So if I come along and I tell you, you can and you can't do something on the Sabbath, (gasps) he's greater than the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says this, Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. He's greater than the law and the Sabbath and everything that goes with the Old Testament covenant. So Jesus is all we need because he's greater than anything we may worry about. Jesus is eternal life. First John, Brother Weston, verse five, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. First John. Chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. All right. So if I want eternal life, what do I need? And if I get the Son, what have I got? I get everything that He is. If He's complete then when I got him, I got everything I need. That's the reality. Now, some people miss that. And it's amazing. People go to church, they'll hear preaching, they'll read the Bible, they'll read Bible studies, and they won't get how complete Jesus is. But let me deal with the second part. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 now and see the, the other side of the coin, and that is that I am complete in him as well. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. Verse 10 says this. And ye are complete in him. If he has all the fullness of the Godhead, the Trinity, bodily, and I got him, then I am complete in him because he's the head of all principality and power. Let's make this, let's make some statements here and we'll be through. Christ by himself in a believer makes them what? First Corinthians chapter one. I'm going to go now to Nita. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30. So, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. As wise as Christ is, I get his wisdom. Anytime I need it, does he say he gives it on condition? Does he give it in little dribs? Or does he say he gives liberally? Anytime you need wisdom, what should you do? Let him ask of God. So, Christ is all the wisdom I need. You may feel like a fool, and you will be. You may feel like you're doing the wrong thing, and to the world you will be. But if you do what Christ says, if you do what the Bible says, you're the smartest person on this planet. He, to us, is all wisdom and righteousness. He is my righteousness. 
if there's anything good that ever happens in my life or your life, it'll be because Christ helped me. Not because I am righteous, but he is my righteousness. He, listen, Christ makes a Christian sanctified. What's another word for sanctified? Hmm? Holy, wonderful, what else? Set apart. You got, somebody had a word here. Okay, there's a good word I'm looking for. Clean. Dedicated for use. Healed in the spirit. Cure. Okay, all right. A saint. That's what I'm looking for. The thing that we, we can't bring ourselves to say is Saint Kathy. Because we really, we don't really believe that a believer is a saint. Yes. He has made us sanctified. Isn't that good? Yes, Tony. Saint Anthony. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're sanctified. Now, I'm working on my body and my, my emotions and my thinking to be sanctified. But as far as God's concerned, I'm a saint. Amen? Amen. Okay, and redeemed. How much of my debt has been paid off? Amen. Amen. Uh, all right, let me rush on. Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, your faith is complete. Go to Galatians 2.20. We'll go rapidly through this, uh, Dean. Galatians 2.20. You ever wondered, do I, do I believe all that I'm supposed to believe? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder, what do I believe? (laughs) What do I believe about such and such. What are the, you always wonder, hey, what else do I need to believe? And so on. Let me show you what you need to believe. And let me show you how complete is your faith. Go ahead there, uh, Dean. So what, my faith is really, I'm just trusting Jesus' faith. I'm just saying, I just believe whatever he believes. So that if I miss something, if I don't know what to believe about the rapture, if I don't know what to believe about the millennium, if I don't know what to believe about the Old Testament covenant, if I just believe and I say, I just, I live by the faith of the Son of God, guess what? Your faith is enough. It's complete. There's more to learn and more to test. But I'm telling you, our faith is complete because it's not up to me to believe at all. It's up to me to trust Jesus who knew exactly what to trust and what to believe. I love that. Uh, I'll show you another one. Your forgiveness is completed. Colossians 2.13, Brother Andrew. Colossians 2.13 to the right. I love that word all. Amen. Your forgiveness is done, is completed. Third, your place in God's family is complete. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Jennifer, Ephesians 1 in verse 3. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the verse that says, made us accepted in the beloved. 
Yeah, verse 6. There you go. We have been accepted in, that's what he calls his family. That's what God calls his family, his beloved. What does he say when the, when the glorious voice from heaven is heard by people speaking to Jesus? What does God always say when he refers to his son? This is my, no, my beloved son. And he looks down to Craig and he goes, I gotta accept you too. <laughs> I'm accepted. My, Place in God's family is not... Okay, make sure you come in, in and out the back door, would you? Would you make sure that when you come in that you don't actually let anybody know that you're in the family? No! I go right in and I call God what? Abba, Daddy, Father. My position, my place in God's family is complete. It's perfect. I'm no longer a stranger, a foreigner. I'm a son of God. You're a son or a daughter of God. Guess what? Your soul... Keep going on. Is perfect in God's sight. John 17. Who's next? Rodell. John 17, 23. Yes. Wow. Now remember that part which says, Thou hast loved them just as much as you've loved me. Hold that for a moment. Keep that for later. But the first part, he says, I'm in them, thou in me, so that they may be what? Perfect. Um, second, uh, we, oh, second Corinthians 5.21. Go to second Corinthians 5.21. Let me go to, uh, Darren. Second Corinthians 5.21. No, for he hath made. I did, I wasn't sure if I heard you right, sorry. Right, how much, how righteous is God? You see, the precision of the words are, I don't have the righteousness of Christ, even though that's perfect, but that might be misconstrued. I have the righteousness of God given to me. He became my sin so that I could receive the righteousness of God by Jesus Christ. How perfect is your soul in God's sight? It's perfect. Now, I look at you and I go, you got a lot to work on. But God says, I don't see anything wrong. Why? Because somebody once described it this way. Because God has rose-colored glasses. You understand what that phrase means? You ever heard anybody use that phrase? It's an old phrase. But it simply means not seeing things in reality because God puts on rose-colored glasses. I love the word rose there. He sees through the blood of his son. That's all he can see me with. He actually, he's actually unable to see the depths of my sin because they have been forgiven. So my soul is perfect in God's sight. Perfectly righteous. Hey, you're a believer's race is perfect. Everybody, you got all these wars and people fighting and arguing over superior race. Let me tell you who the superior race is. Are you ready? A Christian. <laughs> tell you what I'm talking about. Take your Bible during the Galatians chapter 3 and Miss Sherry 
Galatians 3.28. Amen. You know, the Jews, they sit there and go, we're the, we're the superior race. The Muslims say, we're the superior race. The, the, uh, the Germans used to say the Aryan race was the superior race. The, uh, uh, everybody, the Greeks used to say, well, you know, there's no Jew, no Gentile, no slaves, no free, no rich, no poor. There's Christians. Even my race has been made right. <laughs> Is that crazy? You say, oh, I wish I was a Jew. No. Oh, I wish I was a Texan. Yes. No, that's right. <clears throat> No, your race is perfect as a Christian. Don't you sit there and go, well, you know, you're an American. I'm Irish. And I'm so Irish. Don't you talk like that. We're Christian. We're Christian. <clears throat> God's love for you is perfect. God's love for you is perfect. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I have no idea who I'm looking for, but I'm going to say she's Ruth. Yay! That was a 50-50 chance. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews 12. Verse 5 and 6. Yes. Stop. When somebody's upset at you and they rebuke you and they correct you, how do you feel about it? Horrible. <laughs> But look at the love of God. Next verse. Wow. So let's contrast that. Let's compare that with what we read there in John chapter 17 where Jesus said, with the same love that you've loved me, love them. Even when they do wrong. Here's two great truths. Number one, <clears throat> God cannot love you any more than he currently does. He never will love you anymore. And secondly, he will never love you any less. He has set his love on you, not because of anything else except that's his character. That's what he does. He is able to love the unlovable. And when he loves them, he loves them without stop. It is unbelievable. His love for you is perfect. It is complete. Hey, did you know the Holy Spirit is in you and it's, and He is sealed in you forever? Ephesians 1.13. And if that's Ruth, you must be. I love it. <clears throat> Ephesians I love that. See, the Holy Spirit, you have, you have the Holy Spirit in you and it's perfect. He's sealed himself in. He's locked himself in. He ain't leaving. That is just... All right, if Christ is all I need, it makes it so that everything about me is right. I wish, I wish... What, is, what good is this? This will fix a lot of your bad, depressed days. This will make it where the devil comes along and discourages you because you feel like a failure. How many of you ever felt like a failure? 
All the time, Pastor. How many feel like quitting? How many don't have to raise your hand? Just start thinking about what is it the devil throws at you and lies to you about and pulls you down with the constant. Let me tell you, these things are to rem- are for you to be able to remind yourself, I'm complete. He's all I need. <clears throat> if I lose my health, if I lose my job, if I lose my car, if I lose my house, if I lose, and all of that stuff hurts. Nobody's immune to the pain of life. But don't let it defeat you because you're complete in him. Too many Christians think that our success and our accomplishments and our possessions make us special. When most of Christianity has suffered and done without all their lives, and they've been persecuted, they have been hunted, they have been abused, and yet they've been happy because they're complete in Christ. Uh, Did you know you lack nothing? You lack nothing in all the areas that matter. Hmm. There is no need for anything more than what Jesus already is. There's nothing more for any of us to do to attain any of this. You and I just need to grow, just need to mature. But you don't have to accomplish or become anything more than who you are as a believer. Say, just, just believe, Jesus says. And, and that's all that has. Now, all of the above, all the way that those things that we listed is so important to know and to deeply grasp because religions will always try to trick Christians into believing something, some crazy things. Now, we could talk about how philosophers try to do this and how the world tries to convince us that we're not enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not tall enough, we're not handsome enough, we've got spots, we've got flaws, we don't have the right clothes, we don't live in the right area. The world will try to influence you and you've got to step back and go, I'm right where God wants me. I am designed by the master designer. I'm not going to complain about my nose. But that is one thing. How about religions getting at you? Religious teachers. Hold there for a second. Religions will teach you, if you don't get these things, that you still need to keep the law to be loved by God. They will try to teach you you need to keep from committing the unpardonable sin if you want to get into heaven. You need to seek to speak in tongues as evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need to endure to the end of your life to actually become saved. They will teach you you need to be careful not to blaspheme the Holy Ghost or you'll blow it. You need to worry about committing a damning sin. There are sins that damn you and there are sins that don't. They're called mortal and venial. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to be circumcised to be good enough to be saved. You need to be baptized to be saved. You need to make sure you have no sin on you when you die. You need to keep all the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Oh, you need to keep the Jewish feast. You need to pay all the Jewish tithes. By the way, there are four different tithes you have to do every year under the Old Testament. And the list could go on and on. Hey, I'm glad Christ is all I need and I am complete in Him. That doesn't mean I have no responsibility to grow. That doesn't mean I don't have responsibility to go and to to be light and salt in the world. That doesn't mean I, I don't have things that I need to, to refine and let the Lord change in me. But let me tell you, I am not a walking disaster. I'm a son of God. And as a son of God, I report to Him. And I want to please Him. And I want to just be like Jesus. 
Go to Galatians 5.1 and look at these five parts and we're done. Galatians, you're in Ephesians maybe. Go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Five quick thoughts. <clears throat> Say it aloud with me. Just read it out loud with me. We're in Galatians 5.1 starting now. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Five thoughts. Stand fast. Somebody tell me what that means. We did it yesterday in, in, uh, uh, at the men's meeting. What does stand fast mean? Darren. Don't lose ground. Don't, don't let anybody move you from where you're at. Stand fast. Stay true. What is liberty? In the liberty? Not the religion, but in the liberty. What were we going to say? In the freedom. Am I free to do as I please, Weston? Am I free to do as I please? No. I was, I was made free from the law. I was made free from the rules. I was made free from condemnation. I now turn myself in as a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm free to serve Him. I'm free to please God. I'm free to do something that matters. Stand fast in that liberty. And who purchased it? My works, my goodness, my church. Mary, my grandmother. Christ has made me free. You know what the Bibles say? The new Bibles. If you have a new Bible, it'll say this, wherein Christ has set us free. <laughs> it sounds so good. <clears throat> I like made free better. If you've been made free, it sounds like somebody declared it so and they can't change their mind. And be not entangled. Some of you, somebody describe for me what entangled means. Be not entangled again. Be like bound again. But give me a description of entangled. I love that word. Huh? Guilty burdened? I like that, but I'm, let's, let's build it a little bit more. Entangled. I like that trapped. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Nope. I like that. Somebody else? Entangled. It's a great word. How many of you have seen... How many of you have seen a fly go into a web? I mean, the fly is huge. The fly is strong. But as it starts to work against that web... That web starts working around, and then um, in comes the spider and sat down beside her. <laughs> and then wraps and entangles that fly for dinner later on the day. And the devil's the same. You start messing with sin, and all of a sudden you find yourself entangled in it. Be not entangled again with the last words. Yoke of bondage. Somebody describe for me what that is. A yoke. Tony. Good. Good. The yoke of bondage is a legal yoke, but it's also a yoke with another force. See, a yoke is a two-part. And when you stick your head in this yoke, there's something else in the yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. But if I ever come away and I say, Jesus, you've been fun, it's been nice, but you're boring. I need to go hang out with my old friends. I need to go do some fun stuff. You stick your head back under that yoke and it becomes a yoke of bondage. And the world and the flesh and the devil takes you for a ride and ruins your life. That's the yoke 
of bondage. Next time I'll talk to you about how God made us so free in Christ. Next week I'll talk about how he circumcised you without hands, how he baptized you without water. How did God make us so free in Christ? Just concluding thoughts, there's a lot to work on for you and me to be like Christ. I mean, I want to be more like him. But nothing is lacking as far as legal terms, as far as God's terms, about being accepted. Do you know, our adoption made us brethren. I'm in the beloved. Our justification is as if we've never sinned. Remember our song, Justified? Just as if I never sinned. Our justification, God looks at us as if we never sinned. We have. But we're, we've been raised up and, and made to positionally someone as if we never sinned. Our salvation is already finished. I'm not working. I never have to worry about losing my salvation because guess what? It's finished. There's nothing more for me to do. And our condemnation, the Bible says, is gone. It's passed away. As far as the east is from the west. You're so totally saved when you trusted Jesus Christ. You ought to get excited about it. Before we finish, are there any questions? Because I want to just offer this and then we'll close. I know you're ready to go home, but any questions about how perfect Christ is and how perfect your position in Him is? You got it? Anybody happy? Father, bless the things that we've heard tonight as we go through the book of Colossians. I can only imagine as the Colossians sat down and they read this letter, maybe the first or the second time, I bet it just calmed a lot of hearts by some people who had been sort of influenced by false teachers. And they were worried about, were they good enough? Had they prayed the right way? Should they be keeping the Sabbath like so many teachers of that day were saying? Do they have to be circumcised as Gentiles and become Jews to get saved? All of those things. And here was Paul saying, (laughs) you just get Christ and he'll be enough. And he makes you complete. Lord, I pray that we would have that same kind of attitude because it doesn't matter whether it's the pastor or just anybody in this room. The devil will work on our faith and work on our confidences. And we just need to just settle some great things and get excited about who your son is and who we are in him. If any man be in Christ, it's the best place to be. So dismiss us with your grace. Bless us as we go home. May we be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.